This is Intertractional, an exploration of Star Trek through an intersectional feminist lens. Star Trek is both a reflection of our society and an aspiration for our future. The stories it tells shape our world. Intersectionality explores intersecting forms of oppression and how they affect individuals with compound identities. Star Trek is for feminists. Okay, so um, let's get let's get into this. Yeah, the Klingons, our favorite species. Uh, so welcome everybody to Intertractional. Yeah, welcome back to Intertractional. Um, again, I'm Ryan and I'm Becca, and uh, today we're talking about our favorite Klingons. Worf and Balana. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they're your favorite Klingons. Maybe you like those weird movie Klingons. Maybe, maybe <laughs> you're all about the Discovery Klingons. Have a lot of plastic makeup on their faces. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe you're a hipster and you like Gowron. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Gowron is so weird. He is. He just has he this is. like what like the weirdest kind of face. Face. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, he looks like an old baby. <laughs> an old Klingon baby. Yeah, he has like a really big forehead and like really big eyes. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, it makes him look like an old Klingon baby. <laughs> you guys Google Gowron right now. Google Gowron's eyes. Yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Go Google and then come back and then we'll actually be talking not about Gowron, but about Bolana mm-hmm. and Worf. I have a lot of reasons for really loving Bolana. She's like moody and she's angry. And I think that you had said you had wanted to talk about women apologizing mm. or not apologizing mm-hmm. for being angry. That train of thought led us to this episode. Yeah, no, I'm like, I like Bolana as a character a lot, but I've also... I'm really interested in the portrayal of Klingons and Worf in particular. I think Mm -hmm. he's a character who is often underutilized and what kind of stories get told about them. So we chose a couple episodes to take a look at these two characters and put them side by side. Uh, So yeah, so we watched an episode from The Next Generation. Uh, We watched New Ground, which is episode 10 from season 5. It aired in January of 1992. While the Enterprise is in orbit around the planet Bilana 3, which is just a weird coincidence that it's (laughs) Bilana 3, to participate in an experiment on a new type of warp repulsion called the Soliton Wave, Worf's mother arrives with Worf's son Alexander in tow. She explains to Worf that she and his father no longer have the energy to care for the young child. Alexander does not settle well into his new school environment. He is observed lying, stealing, and bullying some other children, which Worf addresses by lecturing him about how this behavior is not Klingon and tells the myth of Kalos fighting his brother Morath because Morath brought dishonor on their family by lying. Alexander promises Worf he will no longer misbehave, but does not keep his word. Mm -hmm. Troy convinces Worf to go with Alexander's class on the father-son field trip that is conveniently happening this same day, where they learn about endangered species, and we learn that the Enterprise has a natural history museum. Later, when the Soliton wave experiment goes awry, Alexander is trapped in the museum, which has burst into flames and is about to be ionized to lethal levels. Worf and Riker make a daring rescue of Alexander, while the rest of the bridge crew fire some torpedoes at the Soliton wave to disperse it. 
Worf gets some more parenting advice from Troy, and Alexander settles into his new life aboard the Enterprise. No. <laughs> I do have like one yeah. maybe introduction for this uh, TNG episode. Oh. The statue of Kalos and Morath. Oh, yeah. Fighting. It is. It is very homoerotic. <laughs> Just because. Two naked men are touching in a statue. Does that? They are so overly muscular and they're like grappling. There's no way you can't be like, look at those very sexy men who are embracing right now. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I'll put up a screen grab. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I forgotten about this. I believe you. It's, be- it's beautiful. Oh, I wanted to, I don't know if this is an introduction, but this is just something I think about. Um, Picard has to face the trolley problem and chooses to continue chasing the wave and like save the planet or whatever the wave is headed at instead of saving Alexander um, and uh, Worf and Riker. So they have to go save him instead because like Picard's not going to flip the trolley switch. Uh I just, I thought that was, I've been watching a lot of The Good Place, so I'm thinking about The Trolley Problem. Oh my god, problem. I love The Good Place. The Trolley Problem is one of those ethical conundrums that you yeah. just gotta keep coming back to, and uh, Deus Ex Worf and Riker, like, <laughs> don't always step in. Yeah, yeah, thank goodness for them, because Alexander and those weird alien animals would have been toast. Yeah. Corvin Gilvos. I just think it's such a funny, ridiculous <laughs> name. They look like trees, kind of, they make squeaky noises. Oh, Alexander yeah. is very into them. Yeah, kids are into weird animals. It's the reason that he's in there in the first place. He's like, but I love these lonely, endangered animals that are like me. Oh, my God. He's so cute. I love him so much. Okay. Um, we're going to talk about him in a minute. So then we watched The Barge of the Dead, which is Voyager Season 6, Episode 3. It aired in October of 1999. It was written by Ronald D. Moore and brian fuller and uh i just want to mention that because ronald d moore worked on battlestar galactica which i really like and brian fuller standing for many years ever since wonderfalls for me Mm. he's done a lot of good stuff yeah and then lately has kind of like jumped off the deep end yeah basically (laughs) brian fuller we love you come back from whatever weird place you're in right now Balana is knocked unconscious during a shuttle accident, where her shuttle collides with an unlikely Klingon artifact. The crew of Voyager is excited by this discovery, hailing it as a connection to the Alpha Quadrant. Tuvok lectures Balana on being a bad Klingon and having no honor. The crew is drinking blood wine and singing Klingon drinking songs when they are suddenly slaughtered by Klingons. Belana awakes to find herself on the Barge of the Dead on her way to Grethor, Klingon Hell. Everything that happened in the episode was her subconscious coming to terms with her death, part of the dream before dying. She sees her mother, who she hasn't spoken to in 10 years. She then awakes again to find out that she's been in a coma for the whole episode. The shuttle accident was real, but there was no Klingon artifact. After consulting Klingon scripture, Balana concludes that her mother is going to hell because of her own dishonor, since Klingon dishonor affects the whole family, and convinces the captain to let the doctor induce a coma so that she can save her mother's soul. 
She and her mother fight on the Barge of the Dead, and Balana takes her mother's place in Grethor, agreeing to die and take full responsibility. She then needs to accept that she must make decisions for herself and not for others, and also stop fighting with her Klingon nature before she can be released and wake up safely on Voyager. Before waking, Balana tells her mother that she will see her in Stovacor, Klingon heaven, and her mother responds, or maybe on Earth. And the audience is unsure what has transpired, if anything, in this episode. <laughs> mm. uh, I've got some interjections. I just feel like before this, I'm, oh. I've been doing some really deep rewatching, and there are a lot of episodes featuring female characters that take place entirely inside their minds, and it's like oh, a thing that you? almost never happens to male characters, and I'm like, what is this weird trope? Did you watch the one where Beverly Crusher is in, like, a pocket universe? What? No. Oh, my God. Everyone keeps disappearing from the ship one by one, and she's like, where did they go? And they're like, I've never heard of that person. <laughs> oh, my God. It's, it's, it's like, That's a very really Doctor trippy. Who timeline, time, yeah, like, storyline. It's very it's very Doctor Who. Yeah, it's like the crack in the wall, and it's, it's also just, like, very Twilight Zone. Yeah. Also, Tuvok, uh, the other alien of color on the ship, represents Klingon values in Bolana's subconscious. Uh, she's got some mommy issues with the captain, and uh, Klingon culture is suddenly a bit Norse and a bit ancient Greek in this episode, on top of everything else that it's already appropriating. And they make her hair curlier in this episode, where she's supposed to be more Klingon. Uh, and that's all she wrote. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, there's a lot of um, really from the 2019 perspective terrible CG in this episode. Oh yeah, uh, there's yeah. like there's like a lot of blood. There's a lot of blood. There's like a lot of water that looks like it's um, straight out of a video game. Yeah, um, and uh, the gates of hell are also straight out of a video game, but. Be that as it may, it's a pretty engaging episode. Yeah, I, I really like this episode. It might not be my favorite Balana episode, because I really like the ones where she's at odds with herself, which I guess she is in this one, but this one is a lot of like, oh, I've had it all wrong all along. And then when they sort of bring her back to being at odds with herself towards the end of the episode, it feels a little forced, because she's been so contrite the whole time. Yeah, it's... A little bit uneven about her Klingon identity and whether she's embracing her Klingon identity or not. But that's actually, I think, one of the big reasons that we wanted to to have this episode today is that both Bolana and Worf are characters that exist at within the Star Trek universe intersections. Right. Bolana is half Klingon, half human, and Worf is, um, while he's full-blooded Klingon, he's raised by adoptive parents who are human, mm-hmm. um, and he's, like, the only Klingon, or at least the only Klingon in the, like, main staff that we interact with, and the same for Balana on Voyager. And I mean, then Balana is also a woman of color. She's also Latina. Mm-hmm. The actress who plays her. The actress who plays her. And I think, I think Balana is Latina, right? Torres. Oh, yeah. And then, uh, so her half-human side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, the, and yeah, and they're both sort of like grew up as minorities. Like they were both mostly raised on Earth or on um, a human colony. Mm-hmm. I had this question 
Um, considering this, this is a Bolana-centric episode in Voyager, what does it imply that so much of the action takes place inside of her coma dream slash hallucination? Yeah. Um, where she's this like main character in the in the overall cast in Voyager, um, but when she gets this episode that's entirely about her, it doesn't really affect most of the ongoing narrative. She really only interacts like in in reality with uh, the Doctor Tom and Janeway and Chakotay. She goes to Chakotay and she's like, I have this dream. And he's like, what are this? I left this out of the summary because I was like, this summary is getting long. Yeah. And Chakotay brings his like, oh, maybe that's an introduction. Chakotay brings like his Native American uh, perspective and was like, you got to look at the symbols. This is a vision. Um, It's not literal. But like, what do those things mean to you? Like, what does your mom mean to you? What does the artifact mean to you? What does the ship mean to you? And then bring that forward into your life. And she's like, but what if they aren't symbols? Mm -hmm. What if they're real? What if it's real? Yeah, Yeah, no, you're right. I totally forgot that that interaction with Chakotay happened yeah. outside of her dream. Yeah, it's very confusing. It's ambiguous. Like the whole the whole yeah. first third, at least, of the episode, you don't even know that we're inside of this hallucination. Yeah. Uh, and then you're like, wait, this is getting weird. Why is everybody drinking yeah. blood wine in the mess hall? And It like- gets increasingly creepy and like in, in kind of it's subtle, but just it every scene just kind of amps up like this seems off mm-hmm. and I real I really love it because it feels like old Star Trek to me or it feels like season one of TNG or like you're just you're just randomly in an episode of the Twilight Zone when you thought you were gonna be watching Voyager mm-hmm. um and I love that shit but yeah so what does it mean it actually prompted me to do a little bit of meta-analysis about Voyager and the characters and I learned something that I found pretty interesting is of the main cast, Bolana has 18 episodes where she is considered a featured character. The only other person who has a higher number than that is the Doctor at 20. Um, Bolana is here with number two ranking right ahead of Janeway, who has 17 episodes that feature her. And then also... Seven of Nine has 16 episodes that feature her, even though she only entered after in season four. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I think that this kind of data is, is a little bit interesting because I had assumed that Bolana would have been in fewer episodes or featured in fewer episodes than Tom Paris, for example. Yeah. But he features in 16. This is all according to Wikipedia, like, Voyager episodes list. Yeah, we're trusting the fan base here. Whoever was invested enough to make up this list, we're trusting you. Yeah. And I tried to run the same analysis for Worf, um, but the Wikipedia list of Star Trek The Next Generation episodes do not have a category of which characters are featured. So I then went to the character description page for Worf um, and that page claims that he has 13 episodes in which he plays a major or minor role in TNG and then also has eight uh, such episodes in Deep Space Nine but then none of the other major characters from the next generation have this same um, subheading in their character (laughs) profiles in Wikipedia so... 
Y'all Wikipedia authors need to get a little bit more consistent with the type of data that you would think is important, but yeah, man, that I rant want, aside. <laughs> I want higher quality information from my free services, to be honest. I want more consistency. C- yeah. Because how are we supposed to do this otherwise? Yeah. Yeah. So Bolana is actually a uh, character that is popular from a writer's perspective to explore. Like you said earlier today, you're like, oh, maybe that explains part of why she's my favorite character. She features so much. Right. And then also you were saying something about her having this like internal war all the time. Yeah, yeah. She has this internal struggle, which comes out in a few different ways and probably represents a few different things. Like one, we have this struggle with she's moody, she's angry, and she doesn't want to be. You know, she wants to be in control of herself. She wants to be taken seriously. She dropped out of Starfleet, but she very much wanted to be in Starfleet, but it was a huge struggle for her. So she she carries around this self, self-loathing and like self-hatred. I just imagine that if she were a woman in 2019, she would be like following all the self-improvement hashtags on Instagram being like, <laughs> this is going to be my year. I'm going to get it together. I'm going to meditate. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to get in my own way anymore. And then be like, why am I feeling so much frustration all the time? I have to go kickboxing now. Mm. And so, so she's like constantly at war with her emotions and with her own judgment of her emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, she's also half alien, half human, which Star Trek often uses as a metaphor for exploring biracial characters. They did this with Spock a lot and then didn't really do it again until her. Um, you know, some of the closest things we see, we see Worf dealing with his parents. We see Troy, who is also half alien, half human, but she's very much in harmony with herself. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, the thing about the thing about Worf is that he really leans into his like Klingon heritage yeah. and his Klingon identity, yeah. despite having been raised by human parents. Right. I am not adopted, but I recognize that it is often kind of a struggle for people who are adopted, especially people who are adopted kind of cross racially to feel that they are um, a legitimate part of the culture that they're being raised in mm-hmm. or that they like embrace the culture that they're right that they biologically ex- part of right that they don't experience erasure of the the culture that they were adopted out of Okay, so we moved rooms because somebody was playing country music loudly in our normal recording room, a.k.a. my living room. Blasting sad romantic duets in the <laughs> middle of the day. <laughs> Alright, so we're getting, we're getting back into it. We were in the middle of making a point about being adopted and having some choices to make there about what culture or cultures you will form your beliefs around. This is something I'd actually wondered a lot about Worf. Why does he identify so strongly with Klingon culture when I'm pretty sure he was raised on Earth? And this episode actually cleared some of that up for me because it seems like his birth parents died tragically when he was around Alexander's age or a little younger. So he has this memory of being raised Klingon and then being adopted by his Earth parents. And he actually, he has this heart-to-heart with Alexander where he's like, I lost everything. I lost my family. I lost my home. I lost my culture. And the only thing I had left was my honor. During this turbulent time in his life, Kling's... Kling's... (laughs) 
clings to his Klingon culture as a type of stability mm-hmm. to take forward with him and sort of forms his identity around that. Yeah, and I think it's a way for him to carry on the memory of his parents. And then also there's a lot of story that we get over the series about his being the heir of the House of Moog and mm-hmm. eventually being formally dishonored or something to like help preserve the stability of the Klingon political system. In a way, he kind of martyrs himself yeah. for Klingon society. And I think that it is that a lot of his motivation is to be respectful of his, his parents. Yeah. Yeah, this like honor... Alright, I'm apologizing right now for all of the traffic noise that's in the background. This is why we don't usually record in my bedroom. (laughs) Um, So we... uh... (laughs) Sorry, listeners, we made a trade. We made a call. Either you got to listen to country music being played loudly from one of my neighbor's houses, or you get to listen to traffic noise. I think this is better. It's... This is real. This is really happening. We're not just uh, (laughs) talking heads out of nowhere. Anyway, yeah, so... Worf is very driven by his sense of honor. And I think that in this episode with Alexander, he's doing something that adults with children do, or just adults to children often do not remember how childhood is, or do not recognize that their own experiences from childhood are like different from the children that they're rearing. And so he speaks to Alexander as he maybe would have to hit a like younger version of himself in lecturing him about Kalis and um and his brother fighting over honor. Yeah, and blah, blah, he's blah. like, these are Klingon values. This is what you should do now. Okay. Alexander has acted shamefully, and as his father, I must now deal with him. A Klingon's honor is more important to him than his life. When I was a child, younger than you, I lost my parents, my family, my people. Everything I had was taken from me, except my sense of honor. It was the one thing I had that was truly Klingon, which no one could take away. Do you know who they are? Collis? And his brother Moroth. They fought for 12 days and 12 nights because Moroth had broken his word and brought shame to his family. When you lie or steal, you not only dishonor yourself, but your family. You dishonor me. I'm sorry, Father. I won't do it ever again. I promise. And then he's basically like, all right, solve that one. You know what honor is. You're not going to mess up anymore. And then, you know, Alexander, he makes a promise, but he doesn't really grasp any of the importance or the meaning behind that. So he's kind of immediately back to these behaviors where he's acting out. And I think we get kind of an interesting analysis of the challenges of raising a child who has undergone a serious trauma and a serious loss because his mother died literally in front of him Mm -hmm. having been murdered bloodily 
And so he's like, he's got this like really traumatic image in his, and then immediately after experiencing that, he's sent away to live in a place that he's never been before with people he's never met before. And almost certainly like one of very few Klingon children who's in that environment also. And so he's really set up in a lot of ways to be failing at the expectations in school and um yeah yeah Yeah, and it's very it's very different from uh Worf's own experience where he went to his adopted parents like one with a very strong sense of self for some reason that that he'd formed like he knew who he was and he decided this is how I'm gonna get through this or Alexander was sort of almost raised human his mother was half Klingon and really rejected Klingon culture And then he's rejected by his father and then sent to live in his father's old bedroom. So is constantly reminded of this second rejection and like compared to this other Klingon child. Like he he has really no chance. Yeah. And like Worf really kind of cannot grasp that this is Alexander's experience and this is like kind of contributing to his behavior until he has a conversation with Troy and Troy is like, well, let me point out to you the traumatic experiences and the feelings of abandonment that this child is most likely going through. And basically all of the behaviors that he's doing that he's getting in trouble for are ways that he can get attention. Mm -hmm. And this is, this happens to kids all the time they act out because it's the only way that they feel like they can get attention so i have a lot of sympathy for alexander i mean he's a little kid also it's not hard he's also adorable he is very very cute for some reason they give him Worf's exact haircut um to to, like increase the resemblance which really does not make sense at all because i'm not even sure that Worf's haircut is particularly klingon we don't Mm. see any other klingons with that hair so he's just has the same haircut (laughs) and he's he says really cute things he's like no the teacher's lying like you know like you don't like me you hate me all you care about is honor like give him some really cute lines and he just like delivers it's not I mean, maybe it is. For me, it is not one of those situations where I'm like, why is there a child actor right now? Mm-hmm. I am like, this kid is adorable. Yeah. Props, um, props to the actor who plays this kid. He does a really good job. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, yeah. they do have him in some pretty heavy yellow face. Ugh. He is played by a Caucasian kid. Worf is played by an African-American actor, Michael Dorn. His mother was played by a white actress. I don't know if they needed to go this route. Uh, this this might be a good time to kind of transition for a second into talking about like the history of how Klingons were portrayed in Star Trek. Yeah, because uh, they orig- originally were they didn't have the bumpy foreheads and they were portrayed by white actors in yellow face with sort of like Fu Manchu beards and like lower chin beards and meant to look just kind of vaguely Asian. So. That's problematic. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then in addition to that, they're sort of given all of these negative human traits. I don't know, like, how would you describe? They're portrayed as being 
quick to anger Mm -hmm. and bloodthirsty Mm -hmm. and entirely motivated by going into battle and dying in battle. And they're, I mean, you know, and they're also like highly motivated by their, um, their culture's notion of what is honorable, what is an honorable death. Yeah. And I feel like some of that is, is some sort of attempt by like the late, the writers of like the later shows to do some sort of recovery. Like they're not just bloodthirsty warmongers, like they're concerned with honor and uh, with familial honor, which is also sort of a very Eastern culture thing, and they start to really relate it to, like, Japanese feudal society, which is something that sort of crossed my mind a lot while watching Worf-centric episodes, but was confirmed by some quick internet research. Mm-hmm. For instance, at one point they do a Klingon tea ceremony. Um, they, carry, they care a lot about being a warrior, but it's not just, like, being a fighter. It's, like, a warrior with, like, a code and, like... Um, at a certain point, like, he wants to engage in, like, ritual suicide. Whether or not this stuff is accurate, it's very much sort of influenced by Western ideas of Eastern culture. Mm-hmm. And I think with, like, the casting of Warp, they're like, okay, we don't have to do yellow face if we just cast a dark-skinned guy. But then they, like, bring in white actors, and they're like, oh, well, we'll do yellow face. And then it's kind of, you know, it's continuity, but... It's not yellow face because they're aliens and, you know, it's just, it's all very uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's questionable and I don't think there's any malicious intent behind it, but so, but, like, that's the problem with blackface to begin with, like, it, well, there's a segment of people who put in blackface who are fully aware of how racist and how problematic and what the history is behind it and they just do it anyway because they don't they don't care yeah and then i think there's a lot of people who um put on blackface because they don't see how it could possibly be offensive to like darken your skin in this way and it just doesn't even occur to them to think about the historical implications and the like the coding that certain people will see and certain people will just kind of overlook and it's it's a way to alienate a specific group of people and whether you're doing that intentionally no or not intended aliens <laughs> uh, whether you're doing that intentionally or not the effect is the same right yeah and so, you know, once again, we love Star Trek. Like, yes. there's there's no argument that we're not, like, this is one of the things yeah. that we care about deeply. No, I'm not on any kind of campaign to be like, Star Trek is racist, we have to throw it out the window. But it's it's more like... It's more like, be aware that this is happening, and um take that with you as you're living your life and try to not duplicate this particular offense in your yeah. own life or in your own behavior or you can say to yourself i love the episodes with Worf and alexander also they shouldn't have put alexander in yellow face that was a questionable decision yeah just a, a random aside the makeup that they put on Spock was called Chinese yellow. Mm. Oh my goodness. 
You did not. I have not heard you say you that didn't before. Know that? I did not know yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So they didn't. Um, they wanted to, him to look like he had green blood. Mm-hmm. But they also wanted it to read well on black and white TV. They'd originally made him red, and uh, he looked like he was in blackface. And they're like, "That's an issue. Let's make him kind of green." And we don't have green paint, so they just bought some, like. I mean, this. I, you just like. You dig a little bit and you uncover this, like, casual racism that's all over the place. And it's, I mean, it's unfortunate. But I think one of the reasons that I find it important to call out Mm -hmm. is to, like, to bring attention to how that may be influencing your thought patterns about particular groups of people without you even being aware that that like thought pattern is there in the first place right um and star trek has a lot of influence and a lot of um people who are deeply dedicated to it as a body of work and as a vehicle of entertainment and as a a place where important stories are being told and if we don't like address these ways in which it kind of you know messes up from time to time then we're doomed to repeat those mistakes mm-hmm. my yeah. my hope in life is that we learn from our past mistakes and only make new new mistakes <laughs> <laughs> great yeah yeah um i feel like we just had quickly a few more notes on unclean culture mm-hmm. you had something about their language Oh, yeah. Especially in the episode with Balana, there's, like, a fair amount of Klingon being spoken. And it's got all these noises, and it sounds somewhat like Hebrew, mm-hmm. um, which I, you know, it's neither here nor there. But I think it's, you know, it's designed to sound pretty alien, but that's only from a, maybe from an English speaker's perspective that it sounds alien. And then also... It's like somewhat related they drink blood wine and as I mentioned in our episode about Nazis like the consumption of wine made from blood especially blood of babies is a thing that Jews have never done but have been accused of doing by you know people who want to see us wiped from the face of the earth yeah which is like a former Catholic like if you're gonna accuse anyone of drinking blood it's like actually part of the ceremony where you say that the wine is blood you know racial stereotypes and prejudices prejudices don't really make any fucking sense no yeah yeah don't go looking for logic yeah oh you had mentioned something about the batleth oh yeah yeah the batleth was designed based on a, a chinese weapon specifically like a double-edged axe so they wanted it to look exotic but also be practical so they looked at real weapons but then we have like this sort of random mixing of cultures again where they were sort of really japanese and feudal focused and then they're like let's throw in some chinese weaponry um also let's uh cast black people also now they're on a ship that seems like norse or greek yeah, or whatever yeah so it's just they, they throw in a lot of random uh, random stuff creating the klingon culture but with Worf, we really get a sense of dignity 
it's actually, I think we are at a good time that we can take a break and let's, let's explore that more after we come back. Hello, intertractional listeners. Becca here to invite you to join the San Francisco Sex Positive Democratic Club. If you are interested in advancing the ideals of sex positivity in local governance and discourse, this is the Democratic Club for you. We define sex positivity as a philosophy that all consensual sexual behavior between adults is inherently healthy. We support and work to create sex-positive public policy. We help elect qualified sex-positive candidates, especially those who are non-monogamous, kinky, sex workers, LGBTQ, and members of other alternative sexual communities, as well as their allies. We work to sensitize and educate all Democratic candidates and office holders, the Democratic Party, and the community at large to the issues and concerns of these communities. To learn more and become a member, visit sfspdc.org. You can also find more information on our Facebook page by searching San Francisco Sex Positive Democratic Club. And we're back. We're back. <laughs> Poor Ryan, like, got home at 3 o'clock in the morning yesterday, oh. and uh, so... This is uh, <laughs> looking at you right now. You're just like, I need a nap. I'm just like convalescing on on Becca's bed with her tribble in my lap, <laughs> by which I mean her cat. Greta <laughs> yes. is being cooperatively not meowy right now, She's which is great. Uh, but yeah, so we were just kind of getting into a conversation about Klingon honor and how like the rigidity of that as a notion is difficult for people like Alexander and Bolana, and especially for Bolana, like she's pretty constantly struggling with her Klingon identity and with reflex impulses that she feels like are coming out of her being Klingon that she doesn't have control over, specifically in her expressions of anger. I thought that there's an interesting quote that Janeway says, well, Bolana's hallucination version of Janeway on the Barge of the Dead says, Bolana, you've let your anger consume you. Now it's consuming us. I think it's interesting to explore kind of how anger gets out into the like groups that we're part of. Mm-hmm. Like when we are angry and if we're not able to process that, in a constructive way, no matter if it's expressed volatilely and aggressively, or if it's done in a passive way and and like repressed from either side, it, it can be really, really toxic and really harmful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, when anger is coming from a valid place, it shouldn't be like dismissed out of hand, like somebody's angry, therefore they are not in their right mind. Right. That doesn't work either. So you have to find this balance. And I think, to me, that's one of the primary messages of this particular episode with Bolana is she herself has to choose the part that she feels are Klingon and kind of live those authentically or kind of integrate them into her her identity, her construction of her own identity, rather than trying, like, continuing to reject them because mm-hmm. she's going to continue, like, suffering and struggling in this way if she doesn't do that. That's my big takeaway, like, the kind of the message behind this episode. Yeah. 
And then also the kind of through line in the in these two episodes is the relationship between children and parents and the children not having the same perspective or not having the same relationship with their cultural heritage as the parents do and like the conflicts that are inherent therein. Yeah, and kind of like over-identification with one parent over the other. Like you see Alexander sort of trying to find his way, trying to impress Worf. He, he runs a, a Klingon holodeck program at some point and is like, this will fix it. He's going to be proud of me. Like I fought with the Batleth. And his dad, you could see on his face, he, like he is proud of him. But then he's also like, why are you in here without permission? This is not what I wanted. And then with Bolana. Uh, one of the things that she says to her mother is that, um, you know, you're the reason that dad left um, because he was sick of all things Klingon. And you see her both identifying with the human side and like rejecting her Klingon side, rejecting her mother, but then also identifying with her mother like I was rejected because I am Klingon. And it's just is really at odds with herself, like doesn't find like war for all of like the tumultuous emotions that. Klingons are shown to have uh, this code of honor is sort of like a guiding principle like this is when you can channel that passion and like this is when you cannot and Bolana, in like rejecting that is just sort of like a wash with her emotions and in like a bra- embracing human culture she's like oh well I'm not supposed to be angry because it's like very like I'm a woman and I'm a human, right? I'm not supposed to be angry. I'm supposed to be docile. I'm supposed to be able to get along with people. I'm supposed to facilitate interactions, which she's constantly like kind of blowing up interactions. And, you know, earlier she was like trying to talk to Captain Janeway and she's just like yelling at her and being like, you're like my mom. And like, why won't you help me? And like, you know, she has no soft edges. Yeah. And she's yelling at Janeway in this conversation where she's like, hoping to get permission to uh, go back into a coma in which she previously almost died. And in my mind, pretty rational of Janeway to be like, no, you can't do that. I need you alive. Uh, You're a vital part of the operation of the ship. Also, I'm not going to have a hand in your like accidental suicide. Uh, She doesn't say that, but I feel like it's implied heavily. And then Bolana comes back at her with this argument of like, well, are, are you standing in the way of me practicing my spiritual beliefs? Which I feel like we could have a whole other discussion just about that or like yeah. the practice of religious beliefs and ceremonies in Star Trek where the um, they're almost exclusively associated with people who are from alien races or people who are from uh, minority aka non-white human backgrounds yeah um i can't think of an example of a white character in star trek having any kind of religiosity at all i mean again other than pike whose dad was a religious studies like professor or comparative religion professor or something and it's kind of implied that he might be christian but like then he kind of just drops the subject Hmm. yeah (laughs) but yeah that's like that's kind of a little bit tangential to the conversation we're we're having today yeah on the topic of klingonness i was thinking in this episode i was thinking a few things um one janeway and tom 
seem to be, and even Chakotay, all seem to become very uncomfortable when Bolana decides to take the Klingon religion more seriously. Like, they all are sort of throughout the series constantly reminding her that she is Klingon and that it's fine, but they're really only addressing it in terms of, like, her uh, species or her race. And once she's, like, she's talking to Chakotay and she's like, I had this dream, and he's like, well, it's a symbol, and she's like, no, it's real. And then Tom, she's showing Tom the scripture, and he's like, I thought you didn't buy into this stuff. And he's, you know, uncomfortable because she's going to risk her life. And, like, only at that point is he, is he like, I'll, I'll learn Klingon. Like, we'll do all the stuff. To, we'll do it together. And she's like, next time. I can't believe the captain is allowing this. One minute you're in a coma, the next you're a born-again Klingon? I, I just don't get it. I'm not sure I get it either. I just know this is something I have to do. There's got to be an easier way for you to explore your spirituality. Go to church or something? It wouldn't be enough. Look. I'll read the scrolls. I'll learn Klingon. We'll figure this out together. Next time. Too late, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. And Janeway is like, uh, it's not until she like literally is like shouting at Janeway that she begins to take this, uh, the idea that any of this could have happened or that it matters because it matters to her seriously. And like everyone is pretty uncomfortable because they're used to seeing her as someone who they see as other, but like it's okay because she just like aligns with like human values. I don't know. I mean, stop me if you disagree with any of this, but like taking that further, someone who really rejects her Klingon heritage and like aligns with human values, she's taken very seriously on the ship. Janeway's constantly taking her advice um, everyone values her opinion. Um, she's sort of gaslit sometimes when she has like a feeling, but in terms of her actual advice, they take her seriously. Mm-hmm. And then like you look at Worf, who is very much of the Klingon culture and is very respected by everyone, but like Picard never once takes his advice. Like, <laughs> like ever, like I tried to Google this earlier and instead of, finding a counterexample where Picard takes his advice, I found a stack overflow conversation where somebody else was asking the same question and then got defensive when people downvoted him, mm. but, but also no one could come up with an example. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah, like his yeah. perspective isn't as valued, and it's very clear that they like value him as an officer and that he can like win a fight and like is reliable and can, you know, run the security staff, but... Um, he has a very alien perspective and his perspective is never valued. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I never really connected that to Bolana before until I saw just how uncomfortable everyone who she actually interacts with in real life gets when she starts talking about taking her Klingon heritage, her cultural heritage seriously. Mm-hmm. You have to weigh, you have to weigh that against like, She's asking them to do something very dangerous that she may not actually survive. Right, yeah. But, but you're right. Well, yeah. They're all like, uh, what, what's happening? This is, like, far, far out of character for you. Um, and I think that that implies some, like, comfort and complacency from the rest of the members of the Voyager crew. They are comfortable with the fact that she has more or less rejected her Klingon heritage and and the like Klingon set of values um mm-hmm. yeah and you're right and and Worf is in the kind of the opposite position and it's not that he's derided for being Klingon um 
No, they they certainly enjoy it when he's going to have like a day of the day uh, of honor. The day of getting beat up. Yeah. Or whatever, or when he wants to have a Japanese tea ceremony or when he wants to go down to the planet to, you know, challenge his father's reputation or when he wants to wear his sash. They really like all of these trappings. Uh-huh. Um but, but when he says things like that's not honorable or we should go into battle or you know, like, this is how I would assess this threat. They always think he's overreacting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just to give a little bit of a counterpoint to that argument, I will say that even he's... though they don't, they don't ultimately choose the plan that Worf proposes, right. I think that they highly value having that contrarian viewpoint in the room. Yes. Um, and the reason that it's valuable to have a contrarian viewpoint in any particular argument is that it, like, when you can logically argue against that particular point, it strengthens your overall argument. You're like, yeah. okay, we looked at all of the angles of this problem, and we chose this particular solution, not... We looked at this problem, we found one solution, and we went with it, yeah, right? So, sure. yeah, I mean, but I think like, they should listen to Worf more, pro- probably. Yeah, I'm just like, Bolana wouldn't put up with this shit. Yeah. And, and that's like her human, so- you know, it's like she's antagonistic, but also like, if she were like, I'm just going to be the token Klingon voice and you're never ever going to listen to me, she would have transferred to another ship so fast, mm. <laughs> you know? Whereas like, Worf is like, I value the hierarchy, Mm-hmm. I am glad that my captain talks to me. It is honorable. I don't know. That's what I imagine he's saying to himself at night. Yeah. Oh man! In the ep- in this episode, he's uh, supposed to like be having like his regular meeting with Captain Picard, uh, and he gets there late because he was dealing with Ale- Alexander's school stuff, and he's just so flustered because he's late. He's like coming to terms with the fact that he has to take a much more active role in parenting his child. And then he gets, like, interrupted after being there for, like, I don't know, a minute or something. Come. So, Wolf, I thought our meeting was scheduled for 1,100 hours. I apologize for being late, Captain. I was detained in school. I I wasn't ruling my son in class. I see. Well, Mr. Worf, as you are aware, several new security officers will be transferred into the Enterprise next week, and I would like to discuss... Pile to Lieutenant Worf. Worf here. I'm sorry to bother you again, Lieutenant, but I forgot to mention that we need to arrange for a series of placement examinations for Alexander. If you could tell me This is not a good time. I will contact you shortly, Miss Kyle. Sorry, Captain. I would like to discuss with you the specific areas of ship security that I would like to... Sickbay to Worf. Yes, Doctor. I need to schedule a physical examination for Alexander. I also need his complete medical records from Earth and the medical records of his I would rather discuss this at a later time. There's no rush. Crush her out. Mr. Wolf. You are not the first officer on this ship to have a new family member. Take care of yourself. The security matters can wait. Thank you, Captain. But I found it was funny. Yeah. And it's another yeah, and example the, of the like female characters all taking kind of a maternal role immediately towards Yeah. Towards Alexander. Yeah, and I think another so so two things. Like one that scene is really lovely and just that it, it shows like the single parent struggle mm. and how quickly overwhelmed he is being 
put into this, you know, traditionally female role. Um, like I'm sure a lot of working mothers, but also working fathers can like relate to that scene. Yeah. Uh, but the two, he a hundred percent believed that his own mother should just raise his child. He really did. And is like very shocked that she won't do it. Yeah. It, it was presumptuous of him to just be like, Hey, I'm, I'm like dumping this kid on your doorstep. And he justifies it by saying, well, I wanted, I wanted Alexander to feel like he had a real home that didn't, you know, it didn't really take a look at all at the fact that before that Alexander had been, um, being raised by Kaylor, his mother, um, who was also a working parent. Yeah. She was an ambassador. So she was constantly on the go. She was, she didn't provide, you know, she was always on ships. Yeah. Right. So I think Alexander, from Alexander's perspective, shipboard life is more familiar right. than planet side life. And I don't think Worf even considered that. No. At all. The, on the Bolana end of things, from a parent-child interaction standpoint, like, all of this episode is about her relationship with her mother, specifically her very strained relationship with her mother, right. um, who she says they haven't spoken for 10 years. The episode kind of drifts towards Janeway is now my surrogate mom. Yeah. Yeah, it, it yeah. hits that note a few times. You know, you're just like her. Lieutenant? My mother. You're as dedicated to Starfleet principles as she was to Klingon honor. I know that we haven't always seen eye to eye. But despite our differences, you helped me become a good officer. And I'd like to think that you're proud of me for it. I am. My mother never had the chance to be proud of me. I'd like her to know me the way you do. I don't want her to die thinking of me as a disgrace. You have to let me do this. And Janeway doesn't seem to be having a problem with it, but uh, I find it hard to imagine if Janeway was a was a man, if there was a man in command that Bolana would have like cried on his shoulder at the end of this episode. Yeah, I mean, I feel like in a way the captains are like everyone's parents. Yeah, you 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 certainly see that kind of happen with Cisco. Um, you see that happen with, like, Ensign Rowe and Picard, um, and with Harry Kim and mm. Janeway. Mm. I guess, that's, but that's Janeway again. Yeah, oh, Captain right. Mommy. Yeah, Captain, Captain Mommy. Um, yeah, that's true. I would say the least parental captain is Kirk. All yeah. of the other captains are a lot more, like, a step away from the rest of the crew. Like, yeah. they have this emotional distance that Kirk definitely does not have he doesn't have he's like he's like the ship's boyfriend <laughs> he's like the bad boyfriend to everyone on the enterprise bad bad boyfriend isn't like bad boy like bad boy boyfriend uh, yeah not, not right. as in like he's a bad boyfriend um i recently watched the the trouble with tribbles episode just to sort of get inspired to, to think about klingons and uh the Klingons insult Kirk by saying that he thinks that he's a demigod. Oh. 
which has Chekhov wanting to punch them. So he definitely has some kind of father-ish role, but it's more of like a Caesar godlike boyfriend toppy kind of relationship yeah. where yeah, just everybody in the ship worships him and and he's cool with that. Yeah, it it does not feel parental. It feels like here's all of my groupies. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. What about, um, now that we're just on this tangent, what about, uh... Captain Daddy? No, not, yes, Captain Daddy, but... Captain uh, Daddy, a.k.a. A.k.a. Christopher uh, Pike. Yeah. No, I was gonna say, um, Captain Scott Bakula. Oh, right, Enterprise Captain, Captain Archer. Captain Archer. I feel like even he is in a pretty parental role towards everybody except to Paul... Yeah. Like, I feel like he takes a strong kind of at least mentor role in Trip's life and development. Yeah. And with Hoshi. And with Hoshi for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Less so with Malcolm, but like, as at least as far as I've gotten in Enterprise by now, which I think is like somewhere into season two, Malcolm, his whole characterization is, we know nothing about this person, and he won't tell us anything about himself. <laughs> yeah, Malcolm is weird. I can't figure out what his his job is in the narrative. Yeah, and I'm like, there's only so much character building you can do when your baseline is, this character will not talk about himself or his life or anything that he's feeling. I think my cat's about to sneeze. Nope. Poor Greta, she has a cold right now. Uh, all right totally lost the thread there uh captains parents <laughs> i'm so tired yeah. i feel bad because i've been wanting to talk about balana for so long and i think there are a lot of really interesting episodes about her this is a really interesting episode about Klingons starring her mm, mm-hmm. and, and is like trying to dig into her psyche but doesn't really yeah. I think and it might and it might be because in fact this episode was originally pitched to be a Deep Space Nine episode about Worf where he would be on the barge of the dead and run into Moog and DS9 wouldn't let Ronald D. Bohr make the episode. They were like, that's too expensive. And it's too close to the end of the season. And we don't really care about uh, Worf that much, basically. And it's just like pitched it again when he was working on Voyager. So that might be part of why this episode feels a little off. Yeah, no, I, I totally see that. Because it does feel, it does feel a little bit wedged in. I mean, I... I think they integrated into her, like, character development in that by the end of the episode, she is more um, integrated in herself Mm -hmm. in bringing in some acceptance of her Klingon heritage. But yeah, it does feel a little bit out of left field that they spent an entire episode, like, inside her hallucination uh, going on and on about the Barge of the Dead and... um, uh, I now have like a Klingon chant stuck in my head. Yes. Asian <laughs> 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 
Hedgehog so tusk, gos bus, scrawl by teak, and by jaj la mok, jaj push, jaj keles molor mi hoch, chu. So great. <laughs> the doctor and seven should do songs. it all the time. Yes. Yes. Yeah, no, I just think, I think it's like her characterization across the episode, and this is really not an interaction as much as it's like just me criticizing the writing is a little weird like she just she wakes up and she's so is she's so quick to be like this is real all of the klingon stuff is real i was wrong all along i have to go save my mother and just like flips so completely but then goes back into the dream and is like, but I'm going to fight with my mother again because I actually don't care about the stuff. And then she flips again and she's like, but I do care about the stuff and I'm going to cling on hell. And then they're like, but it's not about hell. It's about you accepting yourself. And she's like, I'm supposed to be angry. I'm not supposed to be angry. And it's just like, like if it had been one, like if the episode had been like a slow, gradual build to her coming to a conclusion and, and, like, character development, I would have bought it more than this just, like, back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I will say, yeah. to, to counter that a little bit, that I I think it makes sense when the point of the episode is that she has this internal struggle that she needs to deal with. Yeah. And it's the episode is her dealing with that internal struggle. But just the, just the fact that it's so centered on her being Klingon in the first place... Like, the only justification that we get is that she's, like, celebrating her 10-year anniversary of her and her mom not talking. Um, Right, yeah, because you really get, you really get to the point in the episode where you're like, none of this actually happened. And I I think that's the other issue I have, is that I want to believe that it all happened, you know? Mm. That, like, she did go to the Bard of the Dead, and she is trying to save her mother's soul. And then her mother's like, or maybe I'll see you back on Earth. And it's like, you don't even know if her mother actually died. Yeah. And is this all just a weird dream? To go further into this parental theme, I wonder if this is how Alexander is going to end up. Yeah, I feel like Alexander is going to have some difficult things that he has to deal with. I think it's a. I think it's great to give a male character a child you know we already have a portrayal of a single parent in beverly crusher the things that can be explored from the perspective of being a single father versus a single mother are pretty like distinct i wonder what was up with the writing staff (laughs) because cisco is also a single father yeah oh that's true oh one of the things that the memory alpha about the wharf episode mentioned is that there's um a number of recurring extras and in this episode, they all have kids. <laughs> that was the only time we know anything about these extras and that they have kids. Also, they all go to the Natural History Museum that's on the Enterprise for some yeah. reason. I just freaking love that. so weird. Um, uh, was there anything else that you wanted to mention? I don't think so. I had a couple things. I found it interesting that the costume that Bolana wears when she's in, like, full-on Klingon garb on the Barge of the Dead, does not have a boob window. Yeah. When most of the time when we encounter um, Klingon female characters, they do, they have this, like, 
expose like cleavage in the middle of yes. their armor otherwise, which seems ridiculous given the overall characterization of Klingons that they would expose themselves in this way. Um, but then I did a little bit more digging. Kalar, who is right. uh, show, like shows up in an earlier episode in full-on Klingon garb, has no boob window. This right. is this is Alexander's mother and Worf's like paramour who dies tragically. Like in contrast, the Duras sisters who show up yes. a few times. Um, who are always, like, behaving nefariously, consistently have boob windows. And yes. it's just, like, we get to sexualize the bad ladies and yeah. not sexualize the ones that are coded as good. Um, and then my, my, my final thought, um, twice in the episode with Bolana, she's in this version of hell or a hallucination uh, with, like, all of the main characters from Voyager in a, like, spooky version of the mess hall where all the lights are off. Um, <laughs> hell is an ego-crushing intervention <laughs> where all of the people that you like and work with just tell you how much you suck forever. <laughs> Kapla. Kapla. <laughs> Do we know any other Klingon phrases? No. Uh, the only other one that I know is petach, which does not really come in here because it's like no. an insult. Yeah. Um, but yes, rather than our usual sign off, live, live long and prosper. Today we will say kapla. Kapla. Captain's log. So exciting announcement. We set up a PayPal account so that you can donate to Intertractional and support us and help keep us on the air. We are doing this for free and we uh, love doing it, but we can't do it forever unless it makes some dollars. Um, so please send us some money at uh, paypal.me slash federation and fempire. Vampire is like empire with an F at the beginning because it's our lady empire. $8 buys two of us coffee for a day. $108 buys us podcast hosting for a year. Um, also, we need to pay rent. So help. Yeah. And like we could get a second microphone. We could buy uh, Facebook or Instagram ads so that other people will find this podcast and we can keep making it and maybe get real sponsors. So much love. Yeah. will be had for all, all those who send us money. Yeah, and if you uh, want us to, we can uh, give you a shout-out on the air, quote-unquote, paypal.me slash federation and fempire. Thank you. All right, that's it for Captain's Log, our new segment where we advertise ourselves. <laughs> Next week on Intertractional, the solution is not ghettos. We discuss Deep Space Nine's two-parter past tense and Enterprise episode Detained. Intertractional is a production of Federation and Fempire, written and produced by Ryan Ascalisi and Becca Matola barnes Original music by Danny Kavka. Production advice by Danny Kavka. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Intertractional. We want to hear from you. Join our Facebook group to discuss this episode with us and with other fans. Email us at intertractional at gmail.com. You can even send us a voice memo. Visit our website at intertractional.com for show notes, images, and citations. 
Intertractional is available on all podcast platforms, including iTunes. If you like this podcast, help others find it by taking a moment to rate and review us and subscribe on iTunes. It really makes a big difference. Donate to us at paypal.me slash federation and fempire. That's fempire spelled like empire with an F before it. Because it's our lady empire. Fempire. And then Klingons come and murder them all. Other things on the topic of uh, Klingon-ness. Wait, I had stuff to say. Oh, go, go, go. Oh, my brain. (laughs) No, where did it go?